Cool. Well, welcome to the first episode of something called Digital Discourse ZA. The two people you're seeing talking today are not the founders or the uh, originators or even the hosts of this thing. So I just want to start by telling you a bit about what this is about. Digital Discourse ZA is, is meant to be a platform for discussions on interesting issues by people who actually are informed on those issues, who care about them. So kind of informed interlocutors asking each other probing questions and having a, a discussion. We're not engaging in a scripted argument or adversarial about things or whatever. It's meant to be a sincere and serious conversation. And the, the founders, and you can look at their channel and you'll see some other uh, a launch video or rather a, a kind of promo video. They and I think you and I, Al, will introduce each other in a moment, are, are concerned that there's a, a, a hyperbolic kind of too many kind of trolls and grifters occupying the, the social media space. And this is meant to be a, a little bit of a uh, a turn against that. And of course, as a last introductory comment, the line between what's interesting and what's needlessly provocative is going to be difficult to draw. Sometimes you are going to stoke controversy, not us necessarily, but conversations. <coughs> so please uh, give your feedback to, to Digital Discourse ZA in the comments to videos and send suggestions if you think different topics should be explored and so forth. So with that said, let's first tell, well, let's secondly tell people who we are, starting with you, Al. Oh, well, th thanks, thanks for that, Jacques. And I, and I totally agree. I think South Africa needs a space for discourse in the middle rather than hyperbolic stuff on either side. And hopefully you and I can contribute to that today. Uh, so I'm uh, Alistair McAlpine. I am a South African trained doctor and pediatrician. Um, I live in Cape Town. I'm currently in Vancouver for a two-year fellowship in pediatric infectious diseases. Um, I have a, an interest in sort of um, pseudoscience and um, fake medicine and stuff like that. And I write a column for Medical Brief called Digital Clubbing, which probes a lot of these um, issues in a sort of an online format. And I think that's sort of my claim to fame. <laughs> Excellent, thanks. I'm Jacques Rousseau. I, I teach philosophy and uh, well, I teach critical thinking and ethics at the University of Cape Town. It's part of my background in, in philosophy is in is in epistemology, the kind of why claims are, are plausible or credible and why they're not, how we can assess the quality of information, but also the philosophy of science. And that's one of the things that got me also interested in things like pseudoscience. A colleague, a psychologist in the US, Caleb Black, and I wrote a book and uh, published a book in 2016 called Critical Thinking, Science and Pseudoscience, Why You Can't Trust Your Brain. And um, I have for, I suppose, the last uh, 10 or so years been quite active in, in trying to combat uh, pseudoscience and fuzzy thinking in various ways, including on metaphysics and religion and the harms that, that false beliefs can do more generally. And, and given the way we've introduced ourselves now, I think you can tell listeners or, or watchers rather that um, we share a common interest here in, in pseudoscience and so forth and that's what our topic today is going to be about why we should care about it, why we can't in a sense just leave people alone to believe what they want to believe and um, however that that doesn't necessarily mean being uh, being antagonistic or insulting etc towards them. So we're going to explore some of those sorts of topics and as Alistair said you can find him in the digital clubbing column and you can find more of my stuff on synapses.co.za and um, a further podcast which I in fact Alistair I'm going to invite you on at some point called um, square brackets square brackets.co.za so with all that said let's uh, let's start by framing the topic okay so so pseudoscience and why we should be concerned about it. what's 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 your kind of opening thought about why we actually 
I mean, you're a doctor, of course, so you have to care <clears throat> to some extent. But I think you care independently just as a human being too. What, what, what's, what's your reasoning for that? Well, I think from my side, there's sort of these two main two main reasons why why we care. And the first is a sort of the obvious one, which is the, the stories we read in the news, which is when people don't take their child with meningitis to go and see a doctor or a chiropractor breaks a baby's neck or something like that. The obvious ones where we see the clear harm that pseudoscience can do to patients, to children. Um, and that's kind of pretty obvious. And obviously I, I see that a lot and it perhaps manifests itself and we'll talk about it a bit later in the most extreme point in the sort of the anti-vaccination movement. And, and we're having an outbreak of measles in British Columbia at the moment. Um, so that's the most obvious. And I think then the, the second one, which is probably more your area of expertise, but it is obviously something I'm interested in as well, is the, the damage that pseudoscientific thinking does to science, uh, to, to the public discourse around science and the false narrative that it builds up around science and the scientific method and how it erodes confidence in that. And ultimately you get then the rise of a parallel way of thinking, which at its most benign just fleeces people of their money, but at its most severe causes them to behave and act in really irrational ways that causes harm to, to them and to others. So I think that's kind of my, my interest in it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, those I just certainly endorse all of those points wholeheartedly. And, and and given that you covered many things that I would have said, I'm going to just expand or, or rather riff on one of the things you said, and and that is the fact that so I mean, we just I'm going to deviate slightly into this whole fake news sort of phenomenon and and uh, a la Donald Trump, etc. There's been a turn against authority and. The problem here is that the nuance is what I've always cared about in my writing and speaking about these things. And of course, there's a problem in authoritarianism uh, when it comes to transmitting information. There's a problem when people are not allowed to think about things and come to independent sorts of views. So the pushback against that kind of hierarchical power structure is good, but it can go too far. And that's in a sense what you're alluding to is that when you get to a point where no authority has any credibility any longer because you've undermined the entire fabric of evidence and scientific reasoning and so forth but by making it a completely demotic sort of thing so people vote on twitter for <laughs> for what they think is the correct the correct remedy for for your illness or whatever then we've gone too far we've overcorrected now if we want to be optimistic about this and and i mean we probably won't have time to talk about this but if we want to be optimistic about this we might say there's going to be a correction. So we've gone too far in the one direction, I've gone too far in the other, and in a kind of dialectic, we're going to come to a middle point. I don't, I'm not that optimistic about it because, <laughs> because there's this, the idea of false balance has become more and more of a problem for me. And the idea that you're in a sense obliged as a newspaper or television station to give airtime to quacks and kooks and these harmful sorts of people because people believe in it instead of taking some sort of responsibility for not spreading the nonsense. And the thing that people don't get is that by doing this, you are giving them the platform that they don't deserve, that they never deserved. It's not as if these things are on equal epistemic footing. You know, there's the adult table and there's the children's table and they should be kept separate. Does that seem uncharitable to you? I always worry about being I, uncharitable. I don't think it's uncharitable. And I think, you know, you're, you're, you're commenting on that classic sort of Dara O'Brien riff for anyone who hasn't seen it, if they look on YouTube where he talks about it. And I think what social media has allowed 
is the sort of the democratization of views, whereby anybody on the internet can, in theory, engage with any kind of expert, you know, and, and often the loudest voice wins. And my feeling is that it's actually a, it's a reaction to what has gone on before. And we've had some terrible examples in medicine, in particular, where the experts have got it really wrong. And I mean, the most <clears throat> sort of obvious example from the 70s would be the thalidomide debacle, where the drug thalidomide was given to pregnant women and there were terrible teratogenic effects on the baby, all the way to sort of the more recent Vioxx, which was a drug which was promoted as a anti-inflammatory, but then it turned out to have terrible side effects. And I think the result of that is that the public has become a bit um, disillusioned with expertise. And they feel like experts are no longer the go-to guys, that they have an agenda. Perhaps they've been bought by sort of a nefarious big pharma or some other organization. And so I think a lot of people feel like they've lost confidence in expertise and are now moving away from that more towards the sort of the wisdom of the crowds, you know, let the individuals decide, give everybody the, the, the tools and they will make the best choice. And the problem with, with that, as you said, is that you then have a situation where someone who's done an hour or two of research on the internet now feels that they can go toe to toe with someone with 50 years of experience in a field. Yes. And, and, and the people looking at that think that it's an even playing field when, when, when clearly it's not. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, and it's difficult because we do have to shoulder some of the blame because the experts have got it wrong in, in, in instances. So it's it's understandable, but I agree with you. I think it's gone too far. Mm. And if expertise counts for nothing and everybody is just shouting, then the loudest voice wins rather than the sort of the, the most coherent. Yeah. I mean that's that's a very good point. I mean the, the these people who have done the hour of research could also have been doing it on Joseph McCullough's site or something like that. So you could be going to a source that is not itself reliable. But on the other hand, we do have reason to to not mistrust, but to, as you say, to know that people have made mistakes, that professionals, that scientists have made mistakes. But the thing is that there's a self-correcting mechanism built in here. The scientific method allows those mistakes to be made, and sometimes they're corrected too slowly, and people do suffer, and people do indeed die. But that's not a valid comparison in the sense that we must remember that we should be comparing those tragedies to the absence of any science or any medicine, etc. On the whole, the system is saving lives. So you can blame Big Pharma all you like, but you can't just cherry pick the examples of tragedies and use those to besmirch entire bodies of research or fields. Absolutely. And I think <clears throat> this sort of ties into, again, your area of expertise, which is bias, you know, mm. and, and how... I think what's happening is that you can look up and you can you can almost find anything on the internet that will agree with your bias or your mm. pre-health belief. And so I think what's happening is that people decide for whatever reason that maybe vaccines are bad or they reject the diet heart hypothesis or, or, or take your pick really. And they can hop onto the internet and they'll find something. That, that agrees with them, whether it's from Joseph McCullough's site, whether it's, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop pointing that there's stuff out there that will justify your preconceived bias. And furthermore, there will be people who will reflect back or echo back to you what, what, what you're already thinking. So then people get stuck in these echo chambers 
they go down these rabbit holes and it's very difficult to pull people back and to say well hey you know you're you're missing the boat you're you're you're, you're yeah. losing the science yeah precisely and i mean the echo chambers and such are also are also complicated by the fact that we live in this incredibly polarized environment where where somebody is lying to you is the, is, the, is, is the idea and anybody who's not part of your tribe or your grouping or whatever it is isn't to be trusted so just asking questions uh, or asking people to give their evidence and so forth is viewed as as a threatening or an asshole move or something like that and then they come and try to shut you down instead of allowing for that debate or discourse to happen um, let, let's let's move let's move on to vaccines. Things that have come up quite quite a bit, but just as a last little uh, note on on homeopathy, because of how uh, we were talking about how this how the false balance idea. I was struck twice this week. I've had to fly to Johannesburg, and reading the in-flight magazine, one of the ten cardinal rules of flying, number one was pack your medicines homeopathic and prescribed in case of emergencies. <laughs> so, so I tweeted at SAA, and you've got to think. What the hell are they going to help you in an emergency? You know, how are these homeopathic men going to do anything? But more importantly, why is a enormously uh, large, I mean, bankrupt, sure, but, but large and influential organization for years have, have been encouraging the idea that these two things are equivalent, homeopathic and the prescribed medicines? And, and isn't that just indicative of the normalization of pseudoscience? Because, you know, homeopathy is one of those ones, it's not even like, Oh, there's no evidence either way. You know, sometimes you've got to say we've got no evidence and we have to be humble enough to admit that lack of evidence does not equal evidence that something doesn't work. But in this case, we have plenty of evidence that homeopathy doesn't work. You know, it, it, that question has been solved. So the fact that it can seem so normal in an in-flight magazine and no one really bats an eyelid kind of shows yeah. how we've been infiltrated. You know, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we should, of course, just caution people that that even though homeopathy is is completely ineffectual and does nothing and has been has never been shown to do anything, you can still get injured or hurt from it because it could be made in an impure fashion and contain things it wasn't, in, in a sense, even intended to contain. So by accident, in a sense, it could have a physiological effect, but not by design. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and and again, as Darrow Brian said, you can always crown, you know. Yes. <laughs> so... There was a, a large study on on the effectiveness or or rather debunking anti-vaccination sentiments again for the umpteenth time recently. So, from a medical perspective, can you can you talk people through uh, what it showed or what it what it intended to show and how it succeeded in doing so? Sure. So, I mean, it was, it was a, a very large Danish study that took place from the late nineties into the into about two thousand and eleven, I think. There was a cohort of over 600,000 patients. Um, it, it by necess necessity was an observational study because, as you would know, in, in ethics, it's simply unethical to do a randomized control trial on, on vaccines. No, no, no uh, ethics board would ever permit you to not vaccinate children. It's too dangerous. So it's an observational study where they compared outcomes <clears throat> in unvaccinated and vaccinated children. And importantly, and what was interesting about this study was they specifically looked at high risk groups as well, not just normal children, but children at high risk, people at high risk for developing ADHD, um, autism and things like that. And for the umpteenth time, looking at, I think, five million patient years, absolutely no association was found between the administration of the MMR vaccine and the development of autism spectrum disorder. And furthermore, there were no subgroups, no particular groups at risk. 
uh, children with gastrointestinal disease or autoimmune disease, for example. And it was just another nail in the coffin that that vaccines cause cause autism. And I mean, but as 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 studies go in this context, it's about as robust as you can possibly expect without doing a randomized controlled trial, which you can't do okay. for the reasons we yeah. stated. So, so if we think about this uh, as as good scientists or as or as lay people or interested in science, we want to ask various critical questions here to to assess whether we should actually uh, whether there's any reason to doubt the findings of the study. Mm -hmm. And one might be people might say, is there something? different about the Danish context that that explains these results where they might not be able to be extrapolated to other contexts? Is that, can you think of anything that might apply? Well, I mean, given that the, so the, the rise of autism over the last sort of 50 years has been well documented. Interestingly enough, over the last 10 years or so, it's actually stayed relatively constant, which goes against the autism vaccine theory. Um, perhaps one could argue that these ch children were particularly well nourished, you know, well looked after in a system where, you know, children are detected very early. But nevertheless, their overall rate of autism was in keeping with what we would expect from the rest of the world. So there was no change in the rate of autism. Mm -hmm. uh, there was just no link between those who received it and those who developed it. So. Right. I, I personally and, and many of my colleagues find it incredibly robust and and persuasive especially when you put it in context with all the other studies that have shown exactly the same thing in other words, this wasn't this wasn't a result out of nowhere this is what we we've seen many many times before precisely yeah so it, it's in a sense that it would be a distraction for people to say that this is denmark and perhaps this isn't true in the u.s because u.s rates of autism are far higher than denmark's but their vaccination rate isn't high right so you can control for these sorts of things and see that given this fairly homogeneous population so taking a particular one like a danish one you would expect to see some sort of dose response uh, you expect be able to observe some difference in terms of the autism and the homeopathy, I'm sorry, the homeopathy <laughs> and the vaccine, given that consistent cohort of subjects. But if you're comparing, if you were comparing uh, Denmark versus America, you'd have a whole bunch of different questions you need to ask and things you need to control for, etc. But those aren't. So scientific skepticism is a good thing, but skepticism shouldn't be here. I found something to nitpick and some way to artificially discredit findings that are otherwise considered completely robust. I mean, I think there is no such thing as the perfect study, yes. right? So, so, so if, if you nitpick hard enough, you, even the most robust studies, you can always find flaws with. And I think if you go looking for flaws, that's a good thing. But the question we want to ask is not, is the study perfect? It's that are the results reliable? Do we have any yeah. reason to doubt, doubt the results? And yeah. I think in this instance, the, you know, it's an absolutely enormous study. Um, I, I, I personally find the results persuasive, and I don't know any serious scientists at the moment who don't. Yeah, uh, they, they may be, but but I haven't read any real scientists who come up and said we don't think that these results are reliable or replicable or indicative of the truth. Yeah, and these things compound as well, of course. I mean, this confirms a bunch of previous studies. It's not like this is the first time we're getting these results. And if you have a have a broad evidence base, as we do here, with multiple studies confirming the same thing, the point, as you said in the in the beginning, is that this is simply just one of the largest, or perhaps the largest, ever 
uh, and the most uh, compelling, but it's telling the same story we've already been told many times. Yeah. And it's also important that when we look at the so-called studies that have come out with the, the CDC and there was a subgroup of African-American patients that showed a, a proclivity for autism in a, in a previous study, you know, it's important to note that if, there's a saying, you know, if you torture the data enough, it will confess. If you do enough subgroup analysis of enough subgroup analysis, you can always find something. Um, and it's important that, you know, when you're looking at a study, did they stick to the primary objectives with the primary outcomes changed? Was there any reason to suspect that anything was jiggled or altered? And again, in this case, that, that's not the case. And, and there isn't any reason to suspect that there's any subgroups or any anything going on here that's that could be influenced by big pharma or or, or that's not trustworthy. So so it's 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 another persuasive study. I suspect the hardcore skeptics once again will not be persuaded. I don't think any amount of evidence will actually persuade them. But mm. I think for anybody looking for more confirmation, you know, they, it, it's provided it. Yeah, I'm sure if we go back and look once this is published, uh, we'll, we'll find comments pointing things out like that the study was actually funded by a vaccine manufacturer, that kind of thing. But that's again one of those things and you and I despair about these sorts of responses because the fact that funding might come from a source that you consider tainted doesn't necessarily invalidate the data. You need to assess the data itself, not necessarily only who who funds it, right? Those are those are separate issues. And of course they care about this because they they don't care about it simply to make money. Of course they have an interest in making money, but they actually want to save lives too. So it's it's unsurprising. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean just just saying conflict of interest. You know, it doesn't actually prove anything. If, if there is a conflict of interest, for me, it means you need to look at the study extra carefully. Um, but but just saying that the study was run by a vaccine manufacturer or, or they contributed to it doesn't invalidate everything. That, that, that would be ridiculous because the alternative is if the government did the study, then they would turn around and say, well, it's big government, you know. So yeah. <laughs> somebody's got to pay for the study. Uh, yeah. And you can always find something if you, if you dig hard enough about who, who's paying. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to find anybody willing to spend that amount of money unless they have some kind of interest in the topic, right? It's not going to be yeah, some, some philanthropist who's going around support, funding research like this. Well, even yes. then, Bill Gates does it, and then people say, well, he's got some agenda about sterilizing the planet or something, you know? So even when that happens, people find issues with it. Yeah, no, indeed. So one of the uh, people we've had occasion to discuss over over many years now is is Professor Tim Noakes here in, in the South African context. And before we talk about anything to do with diet, even if we even if we do, actually I'm just gonna backtrack slightly before we get back to that. And 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 because we're talking about conflicts of interest and such, one thing that I'm often accused of in terms of conflict of interest is that uh, my father's a professor of medicine and works at the National Institutes of Health. So all of my interjections in these uh, topics is often viewed as, as a mouthpiece sort of thing or as a bias sort of thing or whatever. But the reason I mention that is because discussing this with him the other day or this, these topics, the NIH or American Research now requires you to pre-register your research questions and then to report on successes and failures. So the point that you made now about uh, torturing the data, people might have read about this in terms of the, what's known as p-hacking. So doing that incredibly refined analysis and eventually finding something which you weren't setting out intending to test, but you now need to justify the, the research funding, you need to 
published because now at our universities, at least here, you get promotions uh, via mostly how much you publish. The people are incentivized to publish, even if it's utter garbage, they, they're encouraged to publish. So that's why you start torturing the data in this sort of way. So it's a wonderful um, move forward that we're now going to be expected to say, here's what I'm going to be testing or looking for. So you can't then retrospectively go and torch the data and find some nonsense result. Just a, that's, a, that's lovely progress. Yeah, I agree. Although there were a couple of studies done in the last few weeks by Ben Goldacre and his and his team, where they found a bunch of studies where the primary objective had been changed in the middle of study. They wrote to some of the flagship journals pointing this out, mm -hmm. and, and the journals didn't react kindly uh, to this information. So it's not perfect. Much work to be done. But like you said, I think we're getting there slowly. Mm -hmm. um, and just because the system isn't perfect is not a reason to abandon it completely. And, you know, there's the analogy, just because the airplane has some flaws doesn't mean you jump on a flying carpet, um, yeah. you know, and, and just because the scientific method and the way we do it isn't perfect at the moment, is not a reason to just reject it out of hand and start believing what the homeopaths tell us. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's all going to improve as, as time goes by, and um, we, we don't have time to talk about these things today, but one could talk about the uh, publication system, the, the subsidy system. I mean, so as, as you'd know, the University of California has recently dumped all of the Elsevier journals, and as we move more towards that and, and open access and such, you'll have less of that hostile response because they have an incentive to not admit to mistakes, not to admit to unpublished re research that isn't good, etc. So, th so there's lots of questions one could discuss there, but obviously not necessarily for us today. So, so on the anti-vaccination and, and the Noakes thing, there's a there's a curious thing that people do where they don't say that they are anti-vaccination. They they say that vaccination is is in general a good thing, but I've got some questions, you know. And you kind of allude to the fact that you know maybe maybe there's a point to robert de niro making an anti-vax movie maybe jenny mccarthy isn't as crazy as you claiming that she is and you know all of those sorts of trying to hedge trying to hold the middle ground just asking questions so yeah. i'm not saying that vaccines <laughs> cause autism but i've got questions yeah. about it. And that strikes me as as an incredibly dangerous uh, approach to the question this, do you think it's a dangerous way to approach it I find it enormously cynical. Uh, there's a phrase on online, I think it's called, you know, just jacking off, J-A-Q-I-N-G, you know, just asking questions. And the reason that I dislike it is because almost always the person, it seems to me, has an, has an agenda and they're hiding their agenda behind the usually noble pursuit of asking questions because generally asking questions is a good thing and being skeptical is a good thing. But what happens is that people have an anti-vaccination agenda or an anti-something agenda. They don't want to say it outright, so they hide it behind, uh, what's the big deal? Why are you getting so worked up? I'm just asking questions. Yeah. And where it becomes, why I say it's cynical and, and to people who might be watching going, well, how do you know? It's when people are asking questions on issues that have essentially been settled. And again, that will rise some people's blood pressure because they'll say, well, how can the science ever be settled? But the point is that at some point you, you stop doing research on, on, on questions where everyone's happy that you've got an answer, like <laughs> the vaccine thing. You know, how many more studies are we going to do on this? And when people continue to say, I'm just asking why there are no randomized control trials, or I'm just <laughs> asking, are we giving too many too soon? You know, it, it, it rises my blood pressure because 
it doesn't strike me as sincere. It strikes me as shoehorning your agenda in under the noble guise of, um, you know, seeking knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so this, the, the thing is that this just asking questions or this version of it is, um, I don't know, I, I think it's also, it ties into the broader, perhaps conspiratorial narrative that there's information that's being hidden from you, the, the public. There are large corporations, there are vested interests. And that's why I'm asking the, asking these big questions that nobody else has the courage to ask or whatever. So it feeds into that kind of conspiracy narrative. And of course, conspiracies can exist, but this is one that we think you'd expect we would have found out about by now. And we wouldn't have all of this robust data saying that these things do work and it isn't a conspiracy. So you, you need to go down these weird rabbit holes of the of the conspiratorial internet to find support for this. So you'd say there's a secret CDC program that pays out for vaccine damage. And so the first time I heard this claim, maybe about 10 years ago, I go looking and they've got a web page. They're not at all secret. They've got a list of claims <laughs> paid out, not at all secret. And and they kind of explain that that they they're so worried about legal, no, they don't stay there, but the analysis is they're so worried about legal liability that they often just tend to pay out claims and not even hear them, you know, as a way to just make the issue go away and, and to placate the the, the, the grievous, grievous, the grieving or wait, the, the people who are upset. Sorry, my words failed me there completely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not as if it's an admission of guilt in a sense, which is so A, it's not secret and B, they don't do things that allow you to conclude that they are actually uh, acknowledging that they are killing people or causing autism with their vaccines. So you need to take that, you need to pervert the evidence to believe these things that they do. Yeah, and it's, I, yeah, I completely agree. You know, it, it, it requires cynicism and a, a touch of conspiratorial thinking to really, you know, go on board that a plucky band of nutritional scientists or, you know, naturopaths are asking the questions that nobody else does. You know, when the, the, the reality is far more banal, usually, and that the questions have been asked, they've been answered and yeah. kind of have the eye. We, we, we kind of know what's going on. That's right. So yeah, the, the, the other, so they form, they, they kind of, there's, there's groups of these people and you can, they, they kind of tweet at each other and they pile up on people like you and me, etc. And the, the health and nutrition, well not the health and nutrition, but the nutrition and diet world is seemingly at the moment quite, quite full of these things. So I, I again saw a new Pete Evans uh, debacle a few days ago. There's this osteopath, osteopathic physician called um, something Tenpenny, I've forgotten her first name. Mm. Um, Shireen or Shireen or something, yeah. yeah. And she, uh, Pete Evans, the other day tweeted a link to a podcast about her or dealing with her, where she was promoting her view that that vaccines are are evil and killing people and so forth. Um, and so Pete Evans tweeted this, uh, endorsed this this view. And we we've often seen Professor Noakes also retweeting and endorsing Pete Evans's views, right? Mm -hmm. So 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 there's the other problem with this is that not only do you need to look for conspiracies, but you end up being part of a generally discredited group of people, which I think watchers of this episode of ours should be aware that if these people are all like-minded, one should have some sort of concerns around any particular member of them. I mean, look at who they hang out with. You judge by your friends or or, or yep. whatever. And there's 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 a line from from that. Uh, ancient text, I think it's called the Bible or so forth, which is something about about that, about judging people by the company they keep, right? Yeah. So, so here it's, it's Pete Evans, it's Gwyneth Paltrow, it's 
Professor Noakes. It's, I mean, there's a bunch of these people who collectively just demonstrate a lack of judgment about these things. Yeah, I mean, completely. And, and, and it's, it's always problematic when you hop onto Joseph McCullough's website. And for anyone who's gone, it's, I mean, I think it's been voted like the most pseudoscientific page, maybe after health news or something. And I mean, on the page, you will see proudly sitting there an interview, a fawning interview with Professor Noakes, um, Nina Teicholz, um, Asim Malhotra, Jason Fung, you know, the the who's who essentially of the low carb movements. Mm. And you think to yourself, why are these doctors and researchers choosing to hang out with with this guy, you know, with with with, with this heavily discredited man and 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 it doesn't look good and and when you raise it with them they go well you know we're just you know putting it out there and whoever wants to listen but you know the cynic might argue that they they know that mccola has millions of followers and so the the message will go out to millions more people um but at best it's a lack of judgment and at worst again it's just severe cynicism but really as you say you don't want to be hanging out with these guys and yeah you don't want to be pals with paleo Pete Evans when he's talking about dairy sucking the calcium from your bones and staring straight at the sun and stuff like that because he's not a good source. But you almost feel because he promotes the low-carb message and he's part of the tribe, they're yeah. willing to indulge him, which is really disappointing. That's right. I mean, and it gets even worse than that. I mean, if, if people watching aren't aware, the, the, just the Health Rangers site, I think, or it's Bacola's site, where they had David Ick writing for them for a long time. And and this is a guy who believes that Maggie Thatcher and other leaders are, are shape-shifting lizards. They're aliens who like live underground and come out and take on a human form and they are running the world, these aliens, right? So so you prepare to publish- trails, you know, I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a dark hole to go down. Yeah. But anyway, so speaking of conspiracy, I suppose we should disclose that we are actually part of a conspiracy. We're part of a, a cabal. In, uh, in, in a sense, I mean, the, the last the last uh, Noakes and Sporos book, Sporos is a person who puts words on, on the Internet and uh, and and acts as, as as the kind of PR machine for Professor Noakes. Um, in their last book, they wrote about how it's actually me. I'm the I'm the ringleader. Me and Martinique. You are. You're, 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 you're the big boss. I started it. Yeah. I mean, you remember all of our clandestine meetings, I'm sure. And um, I, th I think, yeah, yeah, you, I, th I, th I think you are explicitly part of the part of that cabal too. But you certainly I'm a bad sure person. I'm sure I'm part of the cabal. <laughs> so it's hilarious. I mean, so I, I've met you in person once. I've met Martinique in person once, and uh, you can probably count on on two hands the number of, of of emails and so forth that I've exchanged with, with both of you. But um, that is a way to to poison the well, to discredit any criticism, right? To say that these people have a vendetta or an agenda. So in both of our cases, we're accused of being rude and ad hominem and, and so forth. I mean, I, I could have a whole hour talking about how that even, doesn't even fit the definition of ad hominem. But anyway, insults by themselves are not ad hominem. Anyway, I'll, I'll come back to that on another day. But um, the fact of the matter is that if you want to look for rudeness and insult and so forth, it's almost exclusively from that side. It's just asking questions from our side and saying, sorry, that isn't clear or the evidence doesn't support what you're saying or do you realize that you're encouraging people to uh, treat, uh, to, to not treat their children properly because they, you're, you're discouraging vaccines. People are skeptical and you're giving them a reason. You're an authoritative source. You're giving them a reason to potentially harm not only their child, but every child, every child because of herd immunity, which you can perhaps um, define for, for listeners. Um, so th that's not insulting or abusive. That's that's the toing and froing of 
scientific inquiry, but the responses are, you've got vested interests, you're biased. You know, uh, there's things about how obese dietitians can't have opinions on things, you know, because otherwise they wouldn't be obese, etc. So, so the, it's the disjunct, the disconnect to reality is quite astounding sometimes. Is that, do, you, do you agree with that? Well, totally. And I mean, I, I mean, I think, isn't it just easier because, you know, you, you write a, a reasoned critique of, of them. It's much easier just to say, well, Jacques is just defending his daddy, uh, yeah. you know, end of, you know, and then they can just dismiss what you have to say because you are so heavily conflicted. You're just a proxy for your evil dad. Mm. Um, same with me, you know, I'm a for some reason, I hate Tim Noakes and I'm jealous and I don't even know, I mean, what, what the rationale is anymore. But the point of it is, it means that they don't have to deal with the substantive issues that anybody raises if you can just automatically poison the well and say, well, clearly this is not in good faith. Um, these are conflicted individuals with some sort of hidden agenda against Prof Noakes and they're so awful and conflicted, we don't even have to go into what they say. Yeah. Uh, we can just dismiss them from the get-go, which is lazy. You know, it's incredibly lazy. I mean, even even if you did have a conflict of interest by your dad, or even if there was something, it still doesn't invalidate the points that you raise. Yeah. Um, and she seems kind of obsessed by the change in your surname, but yes. uh, it, it really seems to be a source of enormous conspiracy. You know, she, she cannot, like, on the one hand, you want to protect your dad, but on the other hand, your surname's different. Like, this well, is that's just... part of my cunning plan. I, I, I formulated this cunning plan about uh, 25 years ago, and I, it's been a long con that I've been playing here, you see. I knew that one day I'd come up against her and Professor Noakes, so I set this all in motion. Nobody was supposed so, to discover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know you, you schemer, you. So it's just lazy, and, and it's a way because they don't like it. They don't like what we have to say. Um, I don't think they necessarily have the answers to what we're asking. And, and, and to be clear, some people might be saying, ha-ha, aren't you guys just, just asking questions? You know, but the difference, of course, here is that they're the ones who are deviating from the current scientific consensus. And so we're trying to pull them back and saying mm. what you are saying is not in keeping with what the evidence that we've got. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it, they don't have to deal with the substantive issues if they can show that we are just part of some evil conspiracy theory to discredit them yeah we're asking questions we're not asking sincere questions we're asking questions because of those those agendas or vested interests or whatever but i mean yeah. so for people for people who ostensibly care about about truth uh, like like they do it's it's bizarre that so i can write uh, i think there were 14 mentions of of me in the in the law of nutrition the last book and all of them are either literally dishonest like fabricated or, or have been refuted in the past or they are misleading enough to fit the narrative of the of the conspiracy and so forth so presented unfairly so i point this out right but nothing gets changed and, and nothing gets admitted it's the, so for people who claim to be sensitive or, or care about evidence they're remarkably immune to evidence I mean, I, I completely agree, and, and I wrote a review on, on, on law and nutrition, and, and, and for a number of reasons, it's a very disappointing book coming ostensibly from a scientist for just some of the issues that you, you raised. I mean, you're a small part of the book, but even that small part, they get disastrously wrong, you know, mm. and, and the truth is they get, they get most, most of the stuff disastrously wrong. And, and um, 
I just get the feeling, and, and this is my personal opinion, what's happened with Noakes and Sporos is that they've jumped on the evangelical low-carb bandwagon. And in a sense, the law of nutrition is not an honest inquiry into the truth. It's a propaganda piece to back up a conclusion that they've already reached. Mm. So it's not Noakes and Sporos going, oh, let's look at the evidence and come up with, with the best, you know, mm. the best uh, conclusion to justify all this evidence. It's them saying, we know that low-carb, high-fat, or the ketogenic diet, or whatever you want to call it, is is the best, and we are going to go and find the evidence to back up this, you know, preconception that we we already have, and that's not good science. Um, and and that's perhaps what's most disappointing about it is that the conclusion is preordained before you even open the first page of the book. Right. Now, I mean, I differ from from many of of the critics of the low-carb movement and and of Professor Noakes. And I think being actually far more charitable to him than, than many people are, I, I, I still believe that he is sincere in, in, in what he's doing. I, I, and I'm not saying that you were saying it was just a, a marketing exercise. The book can be, but the beliefs can still be sincere. Um, a lot of people think that it's all just a, a con or that uh, he's somehow losing his faculties or whatever. I don't believe any of that. I think he actually is fully committed to public health and, and to the welfare of the people he talks to, but that he just has the details wrong. But as I've always tried to say, the science is not really my interest. So you've written a review from a scientific point of view. I've always only written about argumentation and how this doesn't seem to follow from that and the quality of evidence, etc. Um, and and for some reason that's not considered a legitimate uh, kind of kind of um, critique. But anyway, uh, it's not, we can't do much about that. We can just hope that the the, the furor has died down to some extent. I think mm -hmm. that the, the wave the initial wave of enthusiasm is over, and now we're going to start seeing some. I mean, an unkind word would be grifting here. Because when I got a notification the other day, he's running a workshop next week in which he's talking to people about how they should eat in the office to be better performers at, at the workplace. So it's a it's, it's basically now a motivational talk circuit sort of thing where you plug this concept into any particular environment and and collect some attendance fees. And of course, he says they go to the foundation, and that might well be true. But the point is that it's it's becoming an enterprise, a, a business, rather it seems to me to some extent. Yeah, and and I think it's I think it's important again. Once again, I, I don't doubt for a second the sincerity of Prof Noakes. I have nothing personal against Prof Noakes. I, I I I've never met him. I I think he was a student once, um, and 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 the critique is purely from a scientific perspective. And yet, according to all of his followers, I have some massive massive personal grudge, which which I simply do not. You know that that, that, that that's simply not true. I, I don't know him, and 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 I don't have any personal yeah. beef with the man. You know, it, it, it's purely that I am dismayed by some of the science that he employs. It's even worse than that, though, Alice. I mean, you, I I don't know if you want people to to hear this, but you've had you've had the trolls on Twitter asking how you can be allowed to be around children, right? So so that you are implying that you are actually a danger to children because of this debate. And it's not as if you are feeding the children or, or telling them what diets they should have. So how could you be harming them in a way that's relevant to this discussion, to this debate in a sense? It's, it's, a, it's bizarre reasoning. And, it's, and it's, it's insulting and it's nasty and it's distasteful. And people need to, regardless, and people are going to be annoyed listening to us now, right? Um, because they'll hear it as personal and vindictive and attacking. I don't think any of it has been. But if you want examples of that, the abuse that I've just mentioned being dished out at you is reprehensible. And even if you believe that you and I are completely wrong about the science here, think about what kind of a person you are and, and how you want to treat strangers on the Internet. And if you routinely jump into a conversation with insult and abuse, 
I think you should like take a step back and, and consider your life choices a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've, I think both of us will in particular, you, you, you're better than I have, you know, I've, I've sometimes lost my cool on social media. I've sometimes tweeted and written things that, that I've subsequently looked back on and regret. So I'm not going to claim that I'm the most perfect, you know, honorable shining example of exactly how to always behave on social media. But, you know, it certainly does go both ways. And it's really disappointing when a senior tweets something like, I'm a blind mole rat or, you know, six his, his 120,000 followers onto you. You know, it, it can be a, a, a scary experience to have furious, furious followers of Prof Noakes all just tweeting abuse at you. You know, it's it, it's the dark side of social media. Yeah. So listen, the, um, the, the difficulty or the danger, or one danger of living in Cape Town is not just low carbers all over the place. It's also that currently we're again experiencing these annoying power cuts. And of course, it's less annoying to some of us than, than to others. I, I, can, I can make do and a lot of people are suffering far more than I am. But I mentioned this just to say that I don't want us to suddenly just cut out without uh, any warning and leave the episode unfinished. So power cut could be in as little as four minutes. So. I'm going to say uh, thank you to all of you who watched and thank you to Alistair for spending the time. It's been a good conversation, I think. Yeah, thank you, Jacques. And there's so much there's so much to discuss and unpack. And I hope that people use this as a sort of a launching board to start interrogating some of their own beliefs, to start looking out for, for pseudoscience more on, on the Internet, um, being just a, that little bit more critical, that little bit more open to, to, to scientific ideas. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, opening opening the the pages up for for people to to to, to add their own their own writing you know um and, yeah. and use it as a jumping off point cool and i'll i'll see you at the next meeting of the cabal <laughs>